Welcome to episode 132 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. I've rarely seen an easy to understand explanation of how the aperture and distance to the subject affects the depth of field in our images. When I started to think about how I would explain this, I started to understand why, because it wasn't uh, easy to do this in a simple way, and I'm still not sure if I've succeeded. I'm sure you'll let me know though. Um, What I've done is I've created six diagrams, uh, very similar, but I've created six diagrams to help me explain this. I've not attempted to draw like scientifically accurate diagrams, rather just sort of threw them together in Microsoft Word. Well, they, they took a long time to do, um, but I, I didn't, did them in Microsoft Word. And um, hopefully they'll help me to explain more easily uh, with the words that you're, you're listening to right now. So let's jump right into it and attack what should be a very simple subject, though it never really seems to be so. first thing that you'll need to do is to get the diagrams in front of you. If you're out and about at the moment, it still might be worth listening, uh, but I suggest that you you definitely check out the diagrams later. I've included the diagrams in the podcast files, so if you're viewing the enhanced version, you'll see the images change as as you watch. And, well, the thing is, depending on the size of your iPod screen, they may not be of much use at all anyway. Um, So what I've done is I've posted the diagrams in a forum post on the MBP podcast forum at martinbaileyphotography.com and I'll put a link in the show notes directly to the post. I think I'll also just um, go and publish a a rough PDF. Uh, You know, I I did the document in Word and exported it as a PDF, then uh, dragged that into Photoshop to create some image files a um, bit of a long-winded process, but that's that's the only way I could do it. Um, so what I've got is a PDF, and I think I'm just going to put a heading page on that, a header page, and just throw that up on the um, on the podcast feed as well as episode 132.1. So it'll follow this one. Um, the re- another reason I'm going to do that is because it's actually pretty easy to follow or to see to sort of compare the diagrams. Uh, by just flicking through the pages in the, the PDF. If you move page by page rather than scrolling, you'll see the next chart sort of flick up an instant after you sort of hit the next page button or you scroll with your mouse. And um, it's it's just very much, it makes it a lot easier to see the diagrams as they change. Anyway, let's go ahead and look at diagram one. You can see that I've basically drawn a mock-up of a lens very rough, Uh, but I've drawn a mock-up of a lens and a few elements in there and a big aperture ring. The dotted line uh, running through the center of the lens is the lens axis and the thin blue lines that make their way through the lens uh, from the film plane to the, the point that we're focusing on is basically representing light coming in to the camera. I've used the actual metrics, um, you know, the figures associated with a 50mm lens 
and for now we're focusing at 2 meters or around 6.6 feet. I've made the aperture f2.8 in this uh, 50mm lens, our imaginary 50mm lens. What I want you to take note of right now is the X that the blue lines make as they intersect at the point at which we focus, which is 2 meters. Either side of the X, I have drawn a circle. You can think of this circle as the circle of confusion if that helps. If you don't understand what the circle of confusion is, you can either take a listen to episode 65 of this podcast when I discussed uh, hyperfocal distance, but you can also, you know, it's not important that you you fully understand what the circle of confusion is right now, so the other option is to just think of it, um, well, basically think of it like this. As we move away from the point that we're focused on, the elements in the frame start to, um, you know, become less sharp. Or I say the elements in the frame, the things that we're focusing on. Say we were focusing along a wall, um, make, to make it easier to to uh, to imagine. The as we move away from the the point that we're focused on, the the wall will start to become uh, less and less sharp. And these um, circles, imagine them as the cir- uh, the size of a circle that uh, represents the point, the limit of the uh, acceptable sharpness. So the point that we're focused on is the most sharp, but even before we leave what we call the depth of field, things start to get closer um, to being what we consider out of focus. These circles represent the nearest and furthest points at which the subject or elements around it will be perceived as us as being in focus. In the diagrams, I've called this the far limit and the near limit of acceptable sharpness. So the light travels from the scene, or from the subject, into the camera, through the lens and the elements within the lens. Um, and the, those elements move around um, you know, when we focus to basically make sure that the image comes to, comes to a, a point, comes into focus itself, at the focal point on the film or the sensor inside the camera. And that we can see represented by a dotted line at the bottom right of the diagram. Although some of the lens elements do move around, in reality, I'm I'm not going to. It's not important to understand this concept. I don't. I'm not a um, a lens designer or anything, so I haven't messed around with that in the the diagram. They're basically just static, but in reality, they would be move around. Um, you know, move move around as we focus on the the subject. Before we move to the next diagram, let's note the size of the depth of field, the depth of the depth of field, when focusing at 2 meters with a 50 millimeter lens. The depth of field is 27 centimeters, or just over 10 inches. Also, visually note the angle of the intersecting lines that make that X at the point at which we are focusing. Let's now take a look at diagram 2. The only difference between diagram 1 and 2 is that I've stopped the aperture down by two stops from f2.8 to f5.6. You'll see that the angle of the intersection, intersecting lines making the x at the point that we're focusing on, still 2 meters, is now close, much closer. 
so that we are all thinking along the same lines, imagine that you're looking at the X from the front of the lens. Um, you could look at it from either way. Obviously, it's two intersecting lines. But let's imagine that we're looking at it from the front of the lens. Um, so right now, that you know, the the lines just got closer together. Now, the circle that the circles that represent the near and far limits of acceptable sharpness have to be moved further out, so that uh, they still fit between the lines. With just two stops smaller aperture, the depth of field widens from 27 centimeters to 50, uh, 54 centimeters, which is almost double. This is because we're, we're focusing at two meters, uh, just over six uh, feet from the film plane. Let's look at one more diagram, and that's uh, again focusing at two meters. But in diagram three, we'll close the aperture by a further two stops to f11. Look how close the two intersecting lines of the X at the point that we're focused on are now. We can also see that the depth of field has increased greatly. Now, to get the two circles of acceptable sharpness between the lines, we have to move them much further apart. The depth of field increases to 1.14 meters, or 3.74 feet, uh, compared to the 27 centimeters that we had with an aperture of f2.8 when focused at the same 2 meters. We now have over four times more depth of field. So we've seen here that even at the same distance to the subject, we can greatly increase our depth of field just by making uh, the aperture smaller. In addition to the aperture though, distance to the subject, even at the same aperture, um, you know, has a huge effect on the depth of field. Obviously, because the lines of the X that we've been looking at continue to move apart, the further away from the uh, you know the, the point at which we focused and the depth of field, uh, the more blurred the foreground and backgrounds get. You know, it's so it's not just like once you're out of the the depth of field, the amount of blur is the same. Uh, if we imagine it as being this circle, the the circle continues to get large, get larger and larger, and that just make, means that the you know the blurry effect just becomes more and more blurred. As it gets further or uh, you know nearer or further away from this this area, this is why the more acute the angle of the X, uh, the more quickly we start to see things out of focus. This is obviously this is what we we call bokeh as well. It's the the wonderful Japanese word that's been assimilated into English, uh, which I, I kind of like when that happens. Um, but really, you know the 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 more out of focus it gets um you know the the more i mean for me personally as a photographer and um, this is what i i really like to to bring my photos alive with uh, you know really using this but to to before i start to digress and go into that too much let's take a look at diagram 4 and in this diagram i've scaled down the size to around half the size so that we can get it onto the single page. But if you look at the numbers and the size of the camera and everything, uh, I don't think that this will be too confusing. Anyway, what we've done now is kept the aperture at f5.6, which is, of course, uh, relatively wide. But now we've focused on something 5 meters or 16 and a half feet away. 
Look how much closer the lines of the intersecting X are now compared to the diagram uh, that we looked at earlier, diagram 2, when we were focusing at just f uh, at just uh, 2 meters, but also with f 5.6 aperture. The depth of field has also increased from 54 centimeters to 1 point or 1.7 feet to a whopping uh, 3.8 meters or 12.5 feet. This is uh, seven times more depth of field just by focusing at five meters instead of two meters. So now we can see how focusing further away increases the depth of field, even with the same aperture. Just to reinforce this, let's take a look at, at another diagram, diagram number five, and focus much closely. Um, you know, we're going to focus a lot more close to the lens or to the film plane. Let's imagine this time that we focus at 50 centimeters or 1.65 feet in front of the film plane. All focusing distance are measured from the film plane, by the way, so it's not a problem thinking about the distance from the film plane instead of uh, from you know the distance from the front element of your lens. Still, and with an aperture of uh, f 5.6, see how wide the lines of the intersecting x are now and how close the circles of near and far acceptable sharpness now are. We have a depth of field um, or of just three centimeters or just over an inch. And if we open the aperture up to f 2.8, as in diagram six, we can see that the lines of the X get even wider apart and the depth of field is reduced to two centimeters or just over a half an inch. If we compare this to diagram one uh, that we started with, when we focused at two meters with the same f, f 2.8, the depth of field is reduced from 27 centimeters to just two centimeters by changing the focusing distance from two meters to fi uh, 50 centimeters or one quarter of the distance. I think we've probably had enough of diagrams now, so I didn't make any more, but I'm sure that this uh, will help you to appreciate why the depth of field gets so much shallower when doing very close macro work as well. Sometimes we're focusing on things just in front of the lens, literally, and if you're working at magnifications larger than life, uh, it gets even more interesting. Say I'm using a short macro lens and focusing on something very close to the lens at about 20 centimeters from the film plane, that would be. My depth of field is reduced to just two millimeters. Because the lines of and you know the intersecting X are at such a, a wide angle, it just um, you know the, the depth of field becomes very, very shallow. When you do larger than life uh, macro work, it's not uncommon to have a depth of field of less than a millimeter, and you even have to stop down to like F11, F16 to get more than a millimeter. The other thing to bear in mind is that focal length, um, you know, everything today, all of the diagrams we've worked with are just 50 a 50 millimeter lens. But as the focal length um, increases or decreases, that influences the depth of field as well. The reason for this is because uh, if we still focus at, say, two meters, which we've been working at today with a 100 millimeter lens, the subject is magnified to twice the size. And this in turn means that we're magnifying the circles of acceptable sharpness. So we, what we have to do um, 
you know, basically things go out of focus twice as quickly so that to still maintain the acceptable area of focus or the depth of field, we have to counter the magnification of that circle uh, by halving it. Say, you know, if we use this this example of going from a 50mm lens to a 100mm lens, doubling the um, focal length, we have to half the size of the circle. And that means that, obviously, we're going to have to move it closer together between those two converging lines, and that, in turn, is going to make the depth of field smaller. And that just continues on. You know, basically, the longer the focal length, the smaller the circles of acceptable sharpness get. And, you know, it, it, uh, we just have to keep um, keeping that in mind. And the depth of field just gets shallower and shallower and shallower, assuming that we, um, you know, we're, we're still talking about focusing them at the same distance. Anyway, I hope that this has helped. And, it, you know, if you didn't really understand why aperture and subject distance affect the depth of field the way it does, um, hopefully this has been of some help. If you're still confused, how about grabbing a small object, something to focus on, and getting yourself a tape measure, and setting up your camera on a tripod, and put the object two meters away from the camera, and then take three photos. One with your lens wide open, um, you know, say if it's an f2.8 uh, lens, open it up wide open, and then you know, just take a shot, then take another one after you've stopped down by two stops, and so if you were using an f2.8 lens, that would take you to 5.6. And then shoot another image, and then go down another two stops to f11, and shoot a third image. If your lens, uh, if your lens's widest aperture is f4, for example, two stops will take you to f8, and two more stops will take you to f16. So just, you know, play around with that. Take your three shots, then move the object that you shot to... 50 centimeters from the lens and if you know if your lens if you focus if your lens doesn't focus as close as 50 centimeters just move it as close as you can and still focus on it and then you know take the same three shots again and then move the object out to five meters and repeat the same three shots at you know the same three apertures and then just take a look at the images on your computer and you'll see the difference in the the bokeh you know the you'll see the depth of field growing um, either as you move the lens the object further away or close closer it'll start the depth of field will shrink and also of course the aperture you'll see the relationship between the aperture as well so you know you can sort of rearrange them and see how things change you know from your series of nine shots and of course you don't need to um, be limited to nine shots you just uh, try it and try it and just experiment Another very simple trick that you can try is to hold out your finger at arm's length and focus on it. And notice how blurred the background is. You know, it may be, um, depending on how far, how far away the background is, um, you know, say if you're in a room, maybe you can sort of, you know, focus on your finger, but have a wall behind it so that you can sort of have a reference point. And then, basically, um, as you you know, move, actually what I should say, you know, when, when you do, um, you know, you're, when you're focusing on your finger, make sure that you, when you look at the background, you don't actually look at it, you've got to keep yourself focused on the finger and you use like your peripheral vision to, uh, to see but not actually look and focus on the background. And then, 
basically you just move your finger towards your eyes. Um, you know, this doesn't need to be extremely slow. Probably the faster you do it, the better it will, you'll see the effect. But, you know, take a few seconds to move your finger towards your eyes to maybe around the closest point that you can still focus on your finger. And as you do so, again, use that sort of peripheral vision to notice how the focus of the background changes as you continue to focus on your finger. And, you know, if you move your finger back out again, you'll see the surroundings become a little bit more focused again. And you can do this with both eyes, uh, you know, both eyes open or close one eye and just do it with one eye. Um, and that really would allow you to see what your camera sees, because remember, your camera only has one eye. Uh, we see in stereo, so uh, I don't know, you know, I think to me it seems as though the focusing is a little bit different when I'm using both eyes, um, viewing the scene in stereo. So uh, you can still see the effect very well with just one eye. Uh, so, you know, maybe try both and just have a play around with that. But it'll also make you realise, you know, that our eyes are designed very similar to the the lenses on the cameras, uh, or probably I should have, I should say it the other way around. Lenses were designed very similar to our eyes, and it just helps you. It might help you to sort of get a, um, a an idea, a better feel of this in real time. So that's it for today. I hope this has helped. I know that it's uh, it's not a difficult subject, but as I said in the intro, I've never really heard uh, or seen an, an explanation of this in a relatively simple manner, so I thought I'd have a go. There's one piece of news that I'd like to share with you before we finish today. I was recently mailed by a gentleman by the name of Stefan Neuiger. Um, I hope I'm not uh, mispronouncing your name too badly, Stefan. And Stefan has a digital a photography blog in the German language. Recently, Stefan's been showcasing um, podcasts and he's just done a showcase of uh, a fellow Photocast Network podcaster, John Arnold, and his podcast, uh, The Photo Workthrough. And this week was my turn. Stefan was kind enough to showcase this podcast on his blog. So if you understand German and are interested please uh, take a look at photosnueger.com and that's spelt F-O-T-O-S dot N-E-U-W-E-G-E-R dot com and while you're there you might want to check out the other content on the site which I'm sure is great I've had a flick through but unfortunately as I don't understand German um, I, I don't understand it myself but it looks like a great site so uh, maybe have a look around there if you do, if you do have it if you don't understand. So I'm not sure if my pronunciation of your name was right, but uh, if it if it wasn't, then please forgive me, Stefan, and thanks very much for the showcase. Well, that's it for today. So thank you very much for listening, and you have a great week, whatever you do. Bye bye. photocastnetwork.com your photography resource in the potosphere photocastnetwork.com